Lord, that is our prayer. You are the one who satisfies us. You are the one who we delight in. You are the person that makes a difference in everything that we do and say. And so we humbly submit to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's Labor Day weekend. You are not supposed to be laboring this weekend. So how many of you are going to do something relaxing this afternoon and tomorrow? Yeah, like grilling, like in 110 degrees outside and cleaning the pool and all those good things. Hey, this morning, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Our lesson this morning is entitled, No More Excuses. We are a culture of excuse givers. How many of you think you can come up with some pretty good excuses for why you're late to something? Oh, man, that traffic on the 23, it was just brutal. Well, maybe if we would have left just a little sooner, we would have gotten there. Or students, how about these excuses? My dog ate my homework. You don't even have a dog, all right? And so we can give excuses with the best of them. And in fact, today, we're going to look at the Old Testament's best excuse giver, Moses. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking now that school is in session, what are the best notes school nurses and admin people have been given to readmit into school? Now, we have people in the school system here, and I'm sure they've seen every kind of note that's come in, supposedly from the parents and signed by the parents. But these are a few that were collected by a school, and they were all from 9-year-olds and 10-year-olds. My son is under the doctor's care and should not take P.E. today. Please execute him. <laughs> Kid has to work on his grammar, but he was getting close. Dear school, please excuse John being absent January 30th, 31st, 32nd, 33rd. <laughs> please, number three, please excuse Mary for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. Now, now we laugh, we, but we all give excuses, especially when we are called to do something. I was tempted to give an excuse this summer. Some of you know Captain Chandler went down with a little knee infection on the first day of VBS, and they do this huge production. The next thing I know is, Pastor John, we need a little help in a play. Now, I am good up here hiding behind my, my podium, but... I really would like to prepare. And then I heard, oh, Mario writes the script. It'll be awesome. Well, is it done? Well, Mario writes the script. And so, yes, you know what it was like. I'd get that script at like midnight the night before. And thankfully, there were very few lines. But I wanted to give excuse saying, hey, that's just not my deal, Run around up here acting like a cowboy or whatever. I, I, I just I can't do that. But I realized, you know, if I give excuses about things that I really could do, how often do we find ourselves in a place where we really could do something? God's calling us out to something that is out of our comfort zone, and our first reaction is just to say no. Or our first reaction is to say, oh, somebody else. And I think today we have that situation for all of us. God has called you to serve and some of you, God has called to lead. But I think some of us wonder, can God really use us? I mean, really, am I the one that should be doing this? And our insecurities oftentimes keep us 
from doing the very thing that God's calling us to do. Now, the interesting thing is the guy we're going to look at today, Moses, had the same kind of insecurities, and in fact, he gives God five different excuses as to why he's not the guy to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the ironic thing is, I think those same five excuses are the same five excuses we use today when God may be challenging us or calling us uh, to a place of leadership or serving. So I want to ask us, what are those, those fears that keep us, those excuses that keep us from serving God? Now look at Exodus chapter 3. Look, let's look at the background. And if you have this note, I have a nifty little chart for you to, to fill in the blanks for, and I think it might help you follow along. Let's look at the call. Look at verse 2, the burning bush scene. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Moses, in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was not on fire and it did not burn up. Now, a burning bush is not that big a deal in Southern California. We see fires all the time. The deal about this burning bush is what, though? The bush is talking. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't just go through my day with inanimate objects talking to me. If I admitted to that, you would say, and we have a special room for you, Pastor John, with a little white jacket that you can wear. And because of that, Moses doesn't seem to be at all, you know, uh, concerned that God's talking to him through a bush. And he says in verse 7, the Lord has saw the, uh, seen the Israelites suffering. Look at verse 7. I have indeed seen their misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Oftentimes, just a side note, when things aren't going well in our life, aren't we at a place where we sometimes question whether God is still in charge? Does he even know what's going on? And in our own misery at times, we wonder, quite frankly, hmm, hmm, does God even notice? Now, we go through some difficult times, don't we? Some of you are wrestling with bad medical news, even as we speak. Some of you are caring for your mom or your dad or your grandmother, and it's not going well. Some of you are suffering from lack of employment or underemployment, and you're not sure how the next house payment is going to be made. And so there's times where we suffer, and yet God, we tend to think that God has forgotten. Well, God hasn't forgotten. He didn't forget Israel. He isn't going to forget us. So what's he going to do about it? Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, so I've come down to rescue them, rescue Israel from the Egyptians. And he says he's going to take them to this spacious land flowing with milk and honey, otherwise known as the what? The promised land that, that they were yearning for. And I want to just make a, a note. Anytime give, God gives a promise, he will provide. Write that down. When God makes a promise, he will provide. The problem is it doesn't happen usually according to what? Our timetable. We want it when? Now, or better yet, yesterday, right? And yet he's often working on a time scale that we're just not comfortable with. And so therefore, verse 10, Moses is elected he tells Moses he's going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and you can see him begin to backpedal faster than a safety getting burned by Calvin Johnson on a Sunday. I'm telling you, he is backpedaling because, thank you football fans, it is fantasy football. I have drafts tomorrow at 8 and 4 p.m. All right, 
But uh, so he's backpedaling, and it's true. Let me just stop here for a moment. You should be backpedaling if you're being called by God to do something and you want to do it in the power of your own spirit and your own flesh and your good looks or your abilities and your talents. Yeah, along those lines, we can't do it. But I can tell you for a fact, when I am weak, he is strong. And so even though you may have some gifts, we can't just operate in the power of our own abilities, and Moses is going to find that out as well. But he can use you when you're totally yielded to him. So let's look at these five excuses. Let's see if you can follow along with me in this chart. We'll look at his feeling, which is kind of underlying, then the excuse, and then God will give an answer, and he'll do that five times in the text. So first excuse comes from chapter 3, verse 11. And it says this, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So the feeling is, I am inadequate. I don't come from the right neighborhood. By the way, he did come from the right neighborhood. He was raised in Pharaoh's court. He's exactly the guy God could have used to bring them out of Egypt. And he is feeling inadequate. Now, let me just give you a definition of inadequacy. An inordinate focus on one's weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses, and when we focus on our weaknesses, things don't go well. I play golf. I have an inordinate uh, focus on teeing off. It doesn't usually go well. Why is it, golfers, when I see a lake in front of me, I take an old ball and put it on the tee and put my Pro-V back in my pocket? I have an inordinate focus on my weaknesses, which is off the tee. Some would say, and putting and chipping, but we'll leave it at that. What is his excuse? His excuse is, I don't have the qualifications. I have no qualifications. He's doubting his leadership skills, his, his gifting, even though he was raised in Pharaoh's court. I don't have the necessary skills. Any of you ever feel like that? Any of you who are teachers ever feel that? Like, I don't have the gifts. I mean, I've got to teach these kids. Do we have children's workers in here today? They're probably all over there. Any children's workers? Raise your hands high. Have you ever felt inadequate? I did. I had to say, well, besides just volunteering in this little drama up here, Carolyn says, oh, Pastor John, we have some beloved three, uh, third and fourth graders. Would you mind teaching them? Are you kidding me? No offense. They're all out of the room, aren't they? It's safe among us. Third and fourth graders, everybody makes fun of junior hires as being pre-human, but third and fourth graders, are you kidding me? Oh, I don't think you're pre-human. I think you're awesome. I'd teach junior high anytime. Bring it on. But third and fourth graders, they got an attention span of an ant, right? They're sitting on the floor. Before they come to me, you feed them full of sugar, and they go, oh, now teach the children. That's such a joy. And so it was awesome, though. I had so much fun with them. But I was a little nervous. I don't have the qualifications. I don't do third and fourth graders. Give them to me when they get into high school and college. That's my deal. So his question he's asking, you can write this somewhere else, is, who am I? Who am I? Well, God gives an answer for every one of the excuses. Look at verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this shall be assigned to you. That is, I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Every time we're feeling inadequate, God answers with companionship, companionship. 
He will be with you. He will calm your fears when you feel like you are completely out of your league. I remember the first time I went to Russia. It was in 1992. It was after the fall of of the Iron Curtain, and we were doing high school assembly programs, and I was paired up as a speaker with a Campus Crusade for Christ band called the Convertibles, and they did kind of rock and roll music. It was pretty amazing. These Russian kids were just digging this music from the 50s and 60s, and then I'd have to get up and speak in front of about a thousand students and then have it interpreted. And you're dealing with interpreters that you're not always wondering whether they're actually getting it and they would laugh at things that I didn't think were that funny. So I always wondered what the interpreter was actually saying. <laughs> but I had some fear about doing that. Now, some of you think, man, you get up here, you talk all the time. You know, uh, in a little bit, we'll talk about some other fears. And some of you, that's, that's speaking. But God, when you're feeling inadequate, will meet you with companionship. Now, I realize new ministry assignments are scary. Some of you are going to be teaching in a wana or kids' blast for the first time. God bless you. He will meet that need. Some of you, I've asked you to disciple a new believer, and you've never done that. And if you're saying, hey, I'd like to help, let me know, because we've got people coming to faith in Christ who need someone to meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. You could be that person. Some of you are involved in women's free, and uh, Jennifer and others are asking to do this part or this part, and that's like freaking you out like you've never done that. You can do it. In fact, there's a movie line that goes like that. You can do it, all right? You can. Or maybe some of you are sharing your faith and you're just a little nervous about that, right? Like, what do I say? I was a freshman at Biola and I had to do a Christian ministry assignment and I didn't get signed up. And so all of us who didn't get signed up, you get assigned one. And mine was to do door-to-door -door evangelism in Norwalk and La Mirada. Now, that is like worse than selling Tupperware or whatever you're hockey, and I'm telling you. So you'd knock on the door, hi, I'm boom, you know. Hi, I'm a boom, you know. And like nine out of ten times, they'd slam the door in your face. You'd learn, do not put your foot in that door. That is not helpful. But one out of ten, someone would actually open the door, and they would engage in conversation about Jesus. And your heart would be pounding, like, I feel like a complete idiot, and then God would meet that need, put words in my mouth that I couldn't have ever dreamed up. And God allowed me to share the gospel numerous times that first semester. God will meet the need even when you're scared. Excuse number two, look at verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to, this, to the Israelites and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers has sent me. And they're going to ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? He's feeling insecure. It dawns on him, who will I, who, who will say, like, who is this God, and, and we don't know you, and, and what's his name? Now, we do know that he already knew the name of this God, right? Go back to verse 6. He is Yahweh, I am, uh, and he has a major insecurity crisis of confidence, and his excuse is, I don't have the answers. I don't have the right message. I don't know enough. You know what? I've learned through life, all you got to know is a little more than the guy you're ministering to or the girl you're ministering to. You don't have to know everything, just, just a little more than the person that you're discipling. And so Moses says, I don't have the right answers. What if they ask me these questions? And his question is this, is not only who am I, but who are you? Who are you? You're, they're going to ask me. And God gives an answer, right? 
When you're insecure, he gives you confidence. He gives you confidence. And he does it in two ways. And we won't look at all the section, but in verses 14 to 16, he gives them a reminder of who he is. And in verses 17 to 22, he reminds them of what he can do. Back of who he is, he is the I am. And if you understand the Hebrew, the word Yahweh couldn't even be pronounced. In fact, we put in the, the letters for that, those Hebrew uh, noun uh, uh, consonants, yod ha wa ha and those four words with the little syllables in between produce the word Yahweh. And, but more importantly, he's the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is... And this is, uh, in, in our cultural terms in America, he's the rock star God. This is the God who did the big thing. He was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, and they would have known who he was. Now, he says, I'm going to remind him of what we can do. And so when you're lacking confidence, he's going to tell you, and he tells Moses, this is what I'm going to do. Look at verse 17. I'm going to take you to a new land. I promise you this land the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites. That's a bad one. Anyway, take them to a new land. Look at, then he's going to trouble Pharaoh until he lets him go. Look at verse 20. I'm going to stretch out my, my hand and strike the Egyptians, and, and they're, and they're going to all these miracles, and Pharaoh's going to finally, after 10 plagues, say, enough is enough. And then thirdly, he says, I'm going to turn the Egyptians' hearts towards you so you're going to prosper. In fact, you know they leave town with a bunch of loot because the Egyptians just lavish them with all this stuff. Look at verse 21. I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people. And so when you're feeling insecure, when you're saying, I don't have the answers, you're wondering who God is, he's going to say, I'm going to give you my confidence. You don't have it, but I'm going to give you my confidence. Well, we get to excuse number three. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Excuse number three, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? You can get this one. This of all the excuses to me is the most legit. He said, because if you are doing this, you're in Moses' shoes, and uh, let's just play along right here. I'll, I'll, I'll just use someone in the second row here. God's talking to you, and he says, I need you, Mr. Sanif, to do this. And da 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 da. And he tells you. And now you got to go tell IBF this is what we're going to do. Hey, folks, I've just been told by God we're selling the property and we're going to go relocate somewhere in Malibu on the beach in tents. Let's go. Second that. Bad, bad illustration. But the bottom line is. The bottom line is, God says, let's go. We're leaving Egypt. They get that part, but who are you? Like, remember, Moses has been out of the picture for how long? 40 years. He's, you know, running from a murder rap, if you remember the story. And now he's coming back. Yo, I'm the leader. We're taking off. Let's go. And they're going, I don't think so, big boy. Right? I'm not so sure about that. And all of a sudden, he's, he starts dealing with the woulda, shoulda, couldas, the what ifs. What if we don't do this? What if they don't listen to me? And all these, these insecurities start flooding in. And he's feeling what? He's feeling intimidated. And he's saying his excuse is, I don't have the authority. And his question is, what if they don't believe me? Not who am I or who are you, but now what if they don't believe me? He's intimidated. 
He doesn't have the authority, or so he doesn't think. And so God says what? I'll give you courage. When you feel intimidated, God answers with courage. And you look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. He says, I'll give you courage. I'll give you the authority. And he's going to give him three miracles to illustrate that, that this isn't about his show. This is all about who God is. Just a sidebar here. Who's the hero of this story, by the way? Is it Moses for obeying God? Uh, The hero of the story is God. God is always faithful to answer your prayer in your time of need. The problem is He doesn't do it, as we've said, in our timing. So He gives them three miracles. What's the first one? Verse 4 is what? He says, what's in your hand? Now, in my front row here, I have a staff. Now, you're thinking of the shepherd's staff, but if you'd take this, this is what I got uh, in Kenya. Shepherds back in the day would have something. This is from the Maasai tribe in Kenya, but in the, in the Near East, the Middle East, this is the kind of staff. He says, take this staff in your hand, and what does he say to do with it? Those of you who know the story, what does he say to do? He's to throw it down. Now, he's going to throw it down, but I'm just going to throw it to you and don't let it hit the ground because I don't want it on a break. So he throws it down. And unfortunately, what happens when he, when he catches it? It becomes a snake. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm so sorry. That, throw that back. Now, the worst part about this is, what does he say to do with the snake? He says to do what to the snake? He says pick it up. Now, I've watched Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, back in the day. How are you supposed to pick up the snake? You should probably pick it up behind there so that he can't, you know, like, right? What does he say to do? So Noah picked the snake up by the tail. Now, Moses, I think, I'm pretty sure he didn't go, oh, sure, I'll just pick it up by the tail. I'm pretty sure he's going, no way, I am not picking up a snake by the tail. I have been around the block here. I know snakes. These are poisonous. This is a Nile River poisonous, venomous cobra. Mm, I'm not doing it. And then, remember, this all happens with the bush. So the bush goes back to, to Moses saying, you big whiner. Come on, you baby. No, we don't have any evidence of that. But he says, pick it up. Now, the problem is if you pick it up by the tail, logic says the tail, the snake can come back and bite you. But he picks it by the, the tail, and what happens? Boom. Back to this. Do it again, back and forth. Now, you've got to imagine He's not just going to use that for Pharaoh. He's got a brother. He's got a sister. I'm pretty sure he messed with their minds big time. Hey, Aaron, catch. And here comes a snake. Whoa. And so I'm pretty sure that God gave him that one just to mess with his brother and sister. Can't prove it. We'll get to heaven. We'll find out. Then he gives him another one. He says, put your hand in your shirt. Goes in the shirt, out it comes leprosy, and that's just a horrible disease. I won't go into it, but you know, very contagious. I'm sure that's the one he did on Miriam. Put it in, ah, sister freaks, puts it back in, comes back normal. And then <clears throat> verse 9, I do have an active imagination from teaching third and fourth graders. All right. <laughs> then verse 9, water into blood. That's a gross one, right? They, and the water turns to blood. And so he gives them three uh, miracles. And when we're feeling intimidated, God gives us courage. He said, yeah, but God hasn't given me any miracles like that when I'm sharing my faith or when I'm called to something. And I can tell you right now, 
The biggest miracle right now that God's using in this church is your changed lives. God is using you in ways that you have no idea because you are being yielded and open to what He's calling you to do. Well, the excuses get progressively more desperate, don't they? Look at the fourth excuse in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. In other words, even the whole time we're talking there, I still haven't gotten any better as a public speaker. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Commentators tell us that Moses most likely had a stuttering problem. Now, if you're supposed to be a platform speaker leading up at this point, we believe there are over a million people that he's going to be leading out of Egypt. That is not the time to get tongue-tied in front of the group saying, let's go, right? And if you've ever dealt with anybody who's a stutterer, you know how debilitating that is. The other thing he's saying, hey, I have not been on the debate team, all right? Now, uh, Alex uh, coaches debate, and um, I understand, and I'm just going to ask you because I didn't ask you ahead of time, but just no pressure. But one of the things, you have to work with students, and they, you teach them how to stand up and talk in extraneous, or that's what I do, uh, extemporaneous and and all these different skills, but do you know that research tells us one of the top five fears adults have is making a public speech? I mean, some people rather die than have to give up uh, and talk. Now, did you hear my wife laughing? She's like, don't ever make me come up here. <laughs> I will shoot you. I will hurt you. Do not make me do that. And so Moses is scared to death. His feeling is he is incapable. He's saying, I don't have the ability I've got a stuttering problem. Now, I was illustrating that years ago to a bunch of high school kids about, you know, Moses had a, a stuttering problem. And the next day, I get a phone call. And I get a phone call, and the phone goes like this, or on the other end, it goes, hi, but my name is... Jeff, uh, I need to talk to you. And I thought it was one of my high school kids. And I said, yeah, yeah, and I'm Moses. Is this, is this Bruce? Is this, who are you? And then the phone went like this. N no, I, I need help. <sighs> I wanted to crawl under a rock. And that poor kid came in and talked to me for, it took three hours for us to kind of get to the bottom of his situation. And so this is one, though we laugh about, the terror that Moses must be feeling at this point, because I think he realizes he's not getting out of this. And he's saying, I'm incapable, I don't have ability. And God says, look at the answer. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf and mute? Who gives him sight? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will even be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. He's saying, I'll give you competence. I made your mouth. Did this take God by surprise? Oh, yeah, I'm going to pick a guy who stutters, who's got a murder rap, who's feeling inadequate, who's been taking care of smelly sheep for 40 years. He knew all that. In fact, he said, I'm going to give you the words to speak. 
I think that's awesome, Scott. I, I think if we both worked on our stuttering, God would just deliver the message. And I thought about that later. You know what? He does have to deliver the message. See, I can prepare. I can do all this fancy stuff. But in the end, I just want to be a mouthpiece for what God wants said, not what I want said. What does God want? And I can tell you that some of you who are feeling inadequate, insecure, intimidated, and maybe even incapable of whatever it is God's calling you, the deep down question you're asking is, what if I can't do it? And God knows that. And what I want to tell you is, yes, again, you can't do it in your own power. But certainly God working through you can do it in His power. And you can do it. And so, He says, who made your mouth? I think we have a massive self-image problem at times in the church today. I think there are times where God's blessed you and someone gives you a compliment, and you go, oh, it's all about God. Well, it is all about God, but you did a pretty nice job playing that piano. You did a nice job on delivering that message. You did a wonderful job in leading those games. See, it's always the partnership of what God does through you and in you so that then he does get that praise, he does get that glory. It was the early 80s, I was in Brazil, and I was speaking to Wycliffe missionary kids while their parents were off at a two-week conference. They put us in beach houses on the Amazon River. It was awesome, where it's 200 miles wide. And I realized if I wanted to talk to these kids, I need to get them on a one-on-one situation where they would feel comfortable sharing. So I said, hey, this afternoon, I'm going to go float out there on a couple of inner tubes. I'd love to hear your story and hear what God's doing in your life. And I wondered if anybody would ever swim out. And sure enough, the first kid swims out. Nobody can hear us. We're sitting in these inner tubes. And I asked him one question. What is it that you most like about who God made you to be? Silence. I said, no, like, like, are you a good speaker? Are you funny? Are you good? Silence. And I realized so often that our kids don't understand how God has made them perfectly. Psalm 139 tells us that. And the negativity in our world oftentimes drives us to think about all the things we don't do well and get, we beat ourselves up on how we messed it up, how we didn't get it right. And so by the end of that two weeks, Every one of those kids could identify a specific thing that God had been doing in their life. But it took some time teasing that out of them. Do you struggle with that? For some of you, you struggle with how God made you. You're too short, you know. You're too tall. You're too wide. You're too thin. Your nose is too long. I mean, that was my big deal. Fifth grade, dang, I've got a long beak. I had a four-finger nose. <laughs> yeah, I knew somebody had checked. Yeah, every, yeah, yours is three and a half. It's not so bad. You got a fiver. Woo-hoo. Durante, I'm telling you. I thought my nose was too big, right? I was a football player. Man, five foot nine. I wasn't tall enough. I was heavy enough, but just wasn't tall enough. Or then basketball. Man, I have a two-inch vertical. Oh, Wow. But God made me the way he made me, and he's made you special. He's made you unique. Now, by the way, I think we can take, our culture can take that way to the other side. Like, oh, yeah, we all get trophies just for participating. That stinks. No, you lost. You don't get nothing. You get like, 
You get Gatorade. Go home. All right? We got, but we're all special. We all get trophies. Yeah, you're a trophy of God's grace. Thank goodness you didn't get cut from the team. All right. Yeah, I'm off track. Okay, so let's go to excuse number five. Now, he's given excuse after excuse after excuse, and now he is desperate. I mean, he is desperate, and he pulls out all the stops because there is no more excuses. Look at verse 13. But he said, please, Lord. Can you hear the whine in his voice? Please, Lord. Now send the message by whomever thou wilt. Now don't let the King James fool you. What is he saying to God? He's saying a big, fat, no, I'm not doing it. He's saying send somebody else out. And thanks to Josh for this last one, insubordination. He was insubordinate. He was insubordinate. His excuse is no, not no qualifications, not answers, not authority, not ability. It's I'm not available. No availability. He doesn't have an excuse. And his question he's asking is just, can I ask someone else? Can I just ask someone else to do it? Can you ask someone else to do it? Now, you're going to notice something in God's response. First four responses are pretty nice, aren't they? Companionship, confidence, courage, competence. How is God's answer now to this one about him refusing? Verse 14, check it out. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Let's put it in layman's terms. God is ticked, all right? And I couldn't come up with, so the word is consternation, consternation. <laughs> We're going with the C's, consternation. He's, yea, thus verily, he is ticked, and he gets his brother Aaron involved, and the bottom line is God's going to use somebody. It might as well be you. And we always want to talk about God's love, and He is loving. And four out of five times, He's loving. But the fifth time, that's it. You pushed Him. You pushed back. Now, I don't want you, or nobody in this church wants you to do something out of guilt or fear or manipulation. But I believe between you and God today, there's something God's calling you to do. I don't even know what it is. It doesn't have to be something in the church. Maybe it's some ministry that God's tugging at your heart at. And when you're feeling like, I just don't want to do it, you can see what God's response is. Well, let's apply it today and we'll wrap up. Real simply, what do I get out of this text? I think three things. Number one, realize that you are unique and valuable. Flip your page over. Realize that you are unique and valuable. Psalm 139, I praise you, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Number two, remember God's promises. I just list four of them for you in your notes here. Because it is so easy to believe the lies that Satan wants to fill our heads with. Here are some of the lies Satan's give us. Oh, it's, it's impossible. God's Word says in Luke 18, 27, all things are possible. I'm just not able. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, he's able. I can't manage. Philippians 4, 19, I'll supply all your needs. I can't go on. God says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think so often when we get our head kind of in this game, we realize how many times we believe a lie and God has to substitute that lie for His truth. Amen? And so as we wrap up here, thirdly, reaffirm your willingness to be used by God. Isaiah 6, 8, it's a great prayer. And I said, here am I, send me. Now, God's not necessarily calling you to go work in India 
or go to any of the foreign countries we've learned about this summer from all the different missionaries, but he is calling you today to serve. And sometimes it's our busyness, our fatigue, our lack of priorities. I don't know what it is, and I don't want this to be the Debbie Downer day, but I do know that God has something exciting in store for you. Chad's going to wrap us up, and we're going to I just, I'm just going to pray, and uh, as he does, I want you to think about what is it God's calling you to do. This isn't Pastor Scott calling you. This isn't me calling you. What is it that God's burdening? You already know it's on your heart, but you're tentative, and you're worried, and you're feeling, I can't do it. And yet we know God can meet that need, and He can use you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, take our fear Take our inadequacy, take our insecurity, our intimidation, our flat out, all the excuses that we we have, we we just will throw them down, Lord. And we ask that this place would be a place for people who take their first tentative steps in ministry and we applaud them and go, way to go. And there would be mentors who say, hey, I'll walk with you. Don't worry about this. God's got this. And that this would be a place where people every week are saying, God, this is my church. I'm so privileged to serve you. Whether it's children's ministry or all the myriad of things that we could do here, I pray, Lord, that you would reign supreme and that you ultimately give us our confidence, not in our flesh, but in your power. We need your courage. We need your confidence. We need your companionship. Lord, you're the one who we put our trust in today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.